we fail daily, man. If you're not failing, you're not trying, right? And I think that as business owners, or gosh, everybody, as professionals, we think that success is avoiding failures. It's not, it's about embracing them and learning from them. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am super excited to be joined today by Ben Cross. Ben is the founder and CEO of Glomo, based in Dallas. Glomo specializes in the global relocation industry, and they provide talent search as well as consulting on sales, marketing, and mergers and acquisitions. This is a really special podcast because it is our very first that is recorded in person. So Ben is here with me in the studio in Leith, just uh, just in Edinburgh here. So Ben, welcome. Thank you, Mark. It is such a blessing and an honor to be here with you um, here live in Edinburgh, as I'm learning how to say Edinburgh, by the way, I was corrected. Good job, good yeah, job. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress, like everything. People uh, say no- like Edinburgh or Edinburgh you know, Burrah, but uh, you nailed it. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Um, I feel like Edinburgh is the only town that's actually longer than it's spelled. Most things are shortened and they say they found another syllable to add. So the Scots uh, never cease to amaze me. Fantastic. So first impressions of Edinburgh. Uh, love it. Love it. Um, love the the old historic nature of it. You know, coming from the U.S., everything's fairly new and by new I mean like no no older than 200 years you know you know more likely 50 years old in a lot of towns and it's just great uh the people are uh are fun um you know the the town is 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 wonderful and uh you know I've had a, had a lot of fun grabbing selfies of some of the historical uh kind of areas and uh checking out some of the culture all right fantastic and you tried haggis for the first time last I night? I had some haggis. It was fantastic. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, people make it out to, to not be very, uh, very tasty, but I, I really enjoyed it. All right. Fantastic. So what brings you to Bonnie, Scotland? Well, um, I wanted to, to check out some of these distilleries, uh, you know, up north in the Speyside region. Uh, I knew that you were here as well and have really enjoyed getting to know you over the past, you know, six months, a year. And uh, I've actually been a fan of the show, you know, and that's kind of how I, you know, kind of started started my recruitment business. And and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, you were really one of my first exposures to the recruiting industry. And so quite an inspiration for me. And so being here is really special. Oh, amazing. That's so cool. Um, So your route into the recruiting industry is different, very different to the traditional way. Um, most of our guests say, well, I fell into recruiting or I worked in sales in a particular industry and then I started in recruiting. But uh, you, I, correct me if I'm wrong, you were VP of sales for a moving company? Yeah, I was. All right. And then you actually became fantastic at personal branding in that job. Could you maybe tell that story of how this all this journey kind of began for you? Yeah. So I was very fortunate to, I, well, I had been making content on, <clears throat> I'd been making content on LinkedIn for a long time. I've been on LinkedIn since 2006 and, you know, I started doing short form stuff, started doing photo stuff, and then they started adding videos. So started doing video stuff in like 2019. And then in 2019, they rolled out a, a live feature. And I was fortunate enough after many, many applications to be accepted into the beta program, to be able to do LinkedIn live. And then once I got accepted, I'm like, well, now what do I do? 
You know, what am I going to do with this amazing opportunity to speak to people and send a push notification saying Ben Cross is live? Like, what am I going to do? And so I kind of resolved like on January 1st of 2020 that I was going to do to go live every day and do something. And then so once I set that that pressure on myself and that goal, then I had to figure it out. Like, what am I going to talk about? And the first time I did it, I did a live where I monologued for like 40 minutes on the future of the moving industry. I mean, riveting stuff, Mark, you know, a 40 minute man in a camera kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, well, now that I broke down the next 10 years of the moving industry, what am I going to talk about next? I was like, well, I can't just monologue, right? So I need guests. And then it, it, I started, you know, having these guests, these CEOs of companies, founders of nonprofits. I mean, we we really ran the gamut. And so I started interviewing people um, kind of much the same way that you do. And I did it for like three months before COVID broke out. So by the time COVID broke out here, you know, in the States in the middle of March, um, I had been doing a live interview show every day for, you know, five, five days a week and for, you know, two and a half months at that point. And it was already becoming known. And then when COVID happened and none of us could talk to one another and none of us could come together anymore, you know, people needed that connection and they needed to gather around the watering hole and, you know, have that sense of community, uh, do some sanity checks. You know, are, is our business even going to be around? I mean, we were in the global mobility industry, which is moving people around. And so borders are closed. We can't even go inside of our house. What does global mobility mean in the future? And so people were freaking out. I mean, of course, people everywhere are freaking out, right? And so if we remember what that was like. And so people really, it became very significant and important for that reason. And then kept it up, you know, for that first year, every day. Um, the second year, I went to four days a week. Uh, this is the third year I'm doing it and I've been doing it now, you know, three days a week with some breaks and stuff as the business has grown and as my career and personal life has kind of evolved and, uh, I've done over 400 episodes of this live daily show on LinkedIn. It's also on YouTube and Facebook and it's, it's been a real blessing, you know? I mean, as, as I'm sure you've noticed through your podcast, I mean, the more you give, the more you get. And building community is is paramount. And people say your your network is your net worth. And it's it's expanded my network incredibly. And it's developed three things. I call it like the three R's, right? It's reach, relevancy, and relationships. And once you have reach, relevancy, and relationships, you can choose to do with that whatever you want to do. It's it's social capital. And once you have that in the bank, then you'd figure out how you want to deploy that capital. Amazing. hundred uh... percent. Agree completely in terms of building community. It's so funny. What's the name of your show, by the way? Love and Relo. Loving Relo. Lo- love and Relo. Love and love Relo. Plus Relo is kind right. of like the branding of it. Yeah. Love it. It was was that name from day one or that was a name from day one. And it's kind of a weird, odd name, to be honest with you. Um, people ask me all the time where that come from. And it's awkward by design. Um I wanted to, what I really, the the purpose of the show was I wanted to bring the feel of a conference to the person in the cubicle, right? You bring the conference to the cubicle because I go to a lot of conferences in my, in my work, right? And if I'm sure any of your listeners out there go to these conferences and you have these magical transformational experiences, right? And maybe it's the wine, maybe it's the people around us, but we have these magical experiences where we network, we collaborate, and we just get the warm and fuzzy and you get on fire. And then you go back to the office and 99% of the company didn't go and they're not on fire and they're just making the donuts every day. Right. And it's like, how do we bring the fire to the people in the cubicle? Right. Cause we're the, they're the blessed privileged 1% of people to get out. How do we bring that home, you know, and get people to feel that right. And get them that access 
to, to, to know these CEOs and these thought leaders in their industry, right? And, and so I wanted to bring the, the, the conference to the cubicle. And so I, but it was all about the love. It was all about the personal because I don't want it to be very academic and pedantic. And we're just going to talk about statistics and, you know, macroeconomic factors of relocation. Like that's boring. At the end of the day, we want to get charged up. We want to make personal connections. And that's what I wanted to bring. I wanted to bring. So I put the love first. And I said, as long as we're leading with the love, it's going to be different. And by calling it Love and Reload, I'll never forget that that's the purpose of the show. So it was also a reminder to me, like, no matter what happens with this, the love's got to come first. And so that's why that's why I called it Love and Reload. Amazing. I love that. And so the timing of your daily LinkedIn Live, like in retrospect, was almost perfect in the sense that as you say, when COVID hit, you already had a run up to it. And then people were in, they needed this, you know, this uh, community and this connection with other people. And actually I started my podcast almost the same time. Really? Uh, it was December, 2019. Wow. And so I had a few episodes in the bank and then COVID hit and everyone's freaking out. And um, that was just, I, I, I don't know, like the, this podcast is the best thing I have ever done in my business. I've been in business for 21 years. I've tried lots of different stuff. Some was great. Some didn't really pan out. Um, but the goodwill that this has generated, it just blows me away. And it just keeps growing and growing. But I'm convinced that actually, although COVID was horrible and, and, um, you know, it had real serious consequence for people. This was definitely a blessing that ha has come out of it. Dude, this podcast is so important to me. Like, honestly, like this pod, this pod, I have my colleague in the, in the green room over there, Danny Herskowitz, shout out to Danny. Danny's the one that actually introduced me to your podcast. This podcast is so important to him because of what he was going through at a point in his recruitment career where he's just having some, some slumps, you know, and he dial you know, he would dial into this and just like get charged up, you know, by it. And then he put me onto it when I'm thinking about starting a recruiting agency and he's like, you got to listen to this. And I just devoured it, you know, probably binged like 50 episodes or whatever. I mean, my family would be listening to, we go on road trips and we listen to Mark Whitby, you know, my oh, kids are poor. falling asleep to Mark Whitby over here. And my wife's getting inspired by Mark Whitby over here, you know? And so, and so it's, it's meant so much. And I think the reason why, it's been so great for your career is because it's been so great for so many of your listeners and your audience. Right. And so we really get what we give and you're giving more than you could even know to so many people. And then that just manifesting comes back to you, you know, and then we're, we're over here like traveling to freaking Scotland to talk to Mark Whitby because it's such a big deal to us because you've been such a big deal, you know, to us. So, wow. Um, thanks, Ben. Well, that, thank you. That is, and I mean, uh, every word of that, man, it's sincere. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. And shout out to Danny Hertzkowitz. Yes, Danny. Uh, that's fantastic. So, okay. So you had real momentum here where you built this incredible following and this profile within the mobility industry. Can we just do a quick side note yeah. here? What the heck is global mobility? Right. Yeah, I get that a lot, right? So global mobility has kind of three pillars, if you will, right? There's relocation, okay. 
Um, that's moving the person and their stuff right somewhere. There's the immigration aspect of it if you're going globally. And then there's the tax at implications, again, typically if you're going globally, right? And so those are the three kind of elements, right? So within the tax base, you're going to have your typical, you know, your EYs, your Deloitte's, you know, whatever. Now they're starting to spin off other companies because, you know, they can't have tax and advisor in the same house, you know, whatever, whatever. But your typical big four and other players within the immigration space, it's business sponsored immigration, not like, hey, I just want to move somewhere. It's more like my company is sponsoring my visa somewhere. And then the relocation space where I came from is the moving space, um, housing, corporate housing for temporary lodging, permanent housing and real estate, mortgage, um, all the stuff that goes into that. There's also some cross-cultural training. There's language training. It all kind of depends on the assignment. It's one thing if I'm going from Dallas to Des Moines. It's another thing I'm going from Dallas to Dublin, right? right. But whatever it is, it assists in that, right? So it's the movement of employees for a job is really that industry. Cool. All right. I, I completely get it now. Yeah. So um, before you were even contemplating setting up a recruiting business, um, how did the, you know, the, the Love and Relo show, what opportunities did that generate for you even in your previous job? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it positioned me as the voice of relocation. Right. And I saw so I'd open up my show, you know, w- welcome to Love and Reload. This, uh, you know, I'm your host, Ben Cross, uh, the voice of, you know, and this is the voice of relocation. Right. And it's not like I'm the voice. It's the conversation we're having is going to be the voice. There are many voices, but we are the collective voice. And but by by associating myself, I people began to look at me as the voice of relocation. Right. So now I'm positioned as the foremost thought leader within my industry space. Right. And. To support that, I'm bringing on the CEOs of all the major companies. I'm bringing on the major corporate clients as well, right? And we're having these conversations and they're very candid and they could be about, you know, relocation industry stuff. They could be about personal stuff, personal journey stuff, kind of like you like to talk about as well. And it runs the gamut. And we do it live. So that also means that people can tune in on LinkedIn and they can ask questions. They can ask comments. We're huge on engagement. We love taking the questions and comments and, and allowing people to have that access, that true access. So I could be Susie sitting in a cubicle somewhere and I could ask a question of the CEO of the biggest company in the space and they're going to answer it right there. And I'm going to put, put them on the spot. I'm going to ask them the question, you know, and, and people know that about my show too. They're going to tune in. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to hear stuff. They're never going to hear on a panel somewhere or on a webinar somewhere. It's not going to be canned. It's going to be truly conversational and we're going to be real. And, and if people try to give BS, I'm also going to push back a little bit and say, hey, well, you know, is that really, yeah, let's push back on that. Let's uh, unpack that a little bit. So what it's done for me is it's given me um, unrivaled access and it's also given me that social capital. So now, for instance, I always say that when you go through these kind of podcasts together, whatever, it's a micro trauma event. <laughs> And, what but, do you mean by but that? But I say it in a good way, right? It's like it's like a muscle. You work out, you're tearing your muscle and then rebuilding it stronger, right? Um, and it's stre- so it stretches people. So what is people's number one fear? Public speaking. Public speaking. And what is, this is public speaking. Sure. You know, I mean, this is a different kind. This is 2022 public speaking, right? And so we're going to go through this very traumatic event. And guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I'm, I'm going to be nervous too. I'm going to be right here with you. Nervous is all heck going into it. And then we're going to get through it. 
And then we're going to like celebrate it, high five. Hey, we just did a thing. And then we're going to kind of jazz about it. We're going to call our spouse. We're going to call our company. Hey, you guys got to check this out. I was on this thing. Oh my goodness. I'm going to repost. I'm going to, hey, check me out. I'm, I did a thing, you know, I'd be really proud about it. It's going to live in perpetuity. There's going to be a, a long tail on this thing. I'll forever. People tag this and it's their number one tag tag piece of content on their LinkedIn profile. So they're super proud of that moment, right? And we went through that together. So now when I call you CEO of X company uh, a year later, two years later, and uh, it's never a cold call. Right. And and, and you kind of owe me. You don't owe me, but you kind of owe me to take at least take my call. Sure. We're friends. We've been through some stuff. Remember that time we did a thing? Yeah. You know, and so and so you always have that moment together. And I and I think that that's super cool. And then from an audience perspective, I mean, there's so many people and you, I'm sure this happens to you all the time that you meet. You've never met before, but they feel like they know you. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. it's absolutely crazy how that how that works. Yeah. And, and so from uh, a, from a sales and business development standpoint, you have no better networking tool than to do a, a podcast and a show. 100% agree. In fact, in our Inner Circle Coaching Program, I'd say we have 12 to maybe more than 12 of our clients who have podcasts and yes. like four or five of them just launched like in the last four weeks. Incredible. Um, because and, we, sorry. And what do you, but what do you say to people when they're starting podcasts three years after you started yours and you're like, oh, my timing was great. Is it still the right time to start a podcast in your opinion, yeah, Mark? Yeah, 100%. Like, Why? When's... Isn't it too cluttered? <laughs> well, first of all, when's the best pl time to plant a tree 100 years ago? Yes. When's, when's the, the second, second best, best today, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. So um, apart from that, like, yeah, it's cluttered. There's tons of podcasts out there, but that speaks to the amount of demand, which is continuing to grow. And also, they're going to have... They're going to be specific about their particular industry that they serve. And then within that, like in recruiting, there's tons of podcasts, even though you'd think it's quite niche. There's probably 20 different podcasts, but you're going to have your own voice and your own perspective and your own take on things. You do need to find a way to make your you know, show stand out and see what's already out there and what you're going to, yes. you know, bring that's a little different. But um, no, uh, it's it's definitely not too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. I love the tree analogy, too, because I mean, that was on the tip of my tongue, too. And I mean, I've listened to all the podcasts out there because, I mean, that's how I learned how to get into this business. And yours is the one I gravitated to because I wanted to become a recruitment agency owner. And that's really who you speak to. Yeah. And then there's people out there that do rec to rec. And then there's people out there that talk about it from a, a talent acquisition side or an internal recruiting side. I mean, there's all kinds of, to your point, different people's personal truths. And they're coming from that angle. And if that aligns with you, that's great because there's millions of people to align with. And it's not about having 100,000 followers or even 10,000 followers. A, a tribe of 100 is powerful. Right. 100 customers. Who wouldn't kill for 100 customers? 100%. Well said. Well said. So when we went to dinner last night, you um, told a story about how when COVID hit, mm. these associations started reaching out to you and asking you to like host their, because they couldn't do live conferences anymore. They were scrambling to figure out virtual conferences. And here you were already kind of doing that. And they turned to you. Could you tell that story? Yeah, yeah that's, that was, that was kind of a neat unintended consequence. And I would say to anybody, and I will tell that story, but I, first I would say to anybody who is thinking about doing something like this, just because you don't know what's going to happen with it, don't let that stop you from doing it. Because there's all sorts of unintended good stuff that could happen oh, to you. Absolutely. Like you cannot, you never know you never what know. people and opportunities it's going to attract into your 
into your world. Yeah. And um, that you can't you can't even imagine right now. Yeah. And people sit there and be like, is it worth it? If you're ever asking or if you're listening to this right now and you're ever asking yourself, is it worth it? The answer is always yes. Right. Just because you can't define what's on the other side of the equation doesn't mean it's going to be ex- not going to be excellent. So to your to your question about with the associations. Yeah. So I started doing this, you know, three months before COVID hit, then COVID hits and everybody like loses their mind. And then the fall is conference season in the U.S., right? That's when everybody does their conferences for the most part. Some industries, it's summer. For us, summer's a busy season. So it's fall. So fall's conference season. And so now, you know, October, November is rolling. September, October, November is rolling around. And all of these associations that would normally be planning some big mega thousand, 2000 person conference somewhere spending, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, they have to find a way to keep that cadence up, to keep that membership engagement up. Otherwise, people aren't going to renew their memberships. If you stop creating those moments for your association, you don't have an associate. If they stop associating, you don't have an association. right? Right. And so they would come to me and say, listen, Ben, we don't want to do some garbage webinar because nobody likes those. We can't bring people in person. I don't even necessarily want to charge people, but I got to do something. And I'm like, yeah, let's do something. Let's rock out. You know, so we so we looked at different platforms and stuff where people would come in and kind of have these kind of collaborative, immersive uh, experiences where they could also network. So it wasn't like one way, like a, like a Zoom, you know, webinar or something like that. It's, it's, it's immersive and people could chat and whatever. And so I started hosting these things and and basically curating these conversations and saying, okay, I'm going to do a panel of clients. I'm going to do a panel of, you know, institutional buyers. I'm going to do a panel of government thought leaders. And I would put these like five, six, seven panels together because it's basically what I did already. I'm going tapping back into my network and saying, hey, let's come around. Let's let's create a, a, a mega event and let's let's leverage the beauty of being virtual and that I can go and get the best and brightest people around the world to be present. I mean, so I had people in Singapore, people in Australia, we were hosting, we did one that was like 24 hours where we have APAC going, you know, and then we go to Europe and then we go to the Americas and we have Latin America, we have Africa, we have all these continents and, and we could schedule it throughout the day. So, so no matter where in the world you are and what cubicle you're sitting in and what country you're sitting in, you're going to have content specific to you. So we actually really took it as an opportunity to try some crazy stuff, right? Because everything's on the table. Um, there were no right answers. So that means there were no wrong answers. And uh, and we just did some wild stuff. And so we started doing that. And so then I, I was put in the very fortunate position of hosting these associations, virtual events. And now three years later, we're having full in-persons and I'm still hosting them. That is incredible. Like, because when we first met and I checked out your LinkedIn profile and the kind of stuff you're posting, I was like, holy cow, this guy's like, he seems to be emceeing and, and hosting these like huge conferences. And how did, how did that happen? How did he kind of pull that off? So yeah. And, and honestly, I, I, when I approached you about working with you and having you coach me, Mark, um, which has been an honor and a blessing and has already kind of transformed my business. I was really honored by the fact you, you took me on. Because I was this brand new, nothing kind of recruitment company, you know, um, just a twinkle in my eye kind of thing. And you took me on because you saw you saw something in what I was doing, which I was telling Danny about this last night after dinner. I was like, I feel really honored that you would even take me on as a, as a client, frankly, to coach. And, and I felt like it really validated my direction and my plan and said, you know, Mark works with the best people in the world. So if Mark's going to work with me, that must mean I, I got something going on. And, and I think that's probably what you saw is the fact that I had this amazing market positioning. And so you, and you'd probably know that the business development angle can be the most difficult piece of this business. Right. Um, 
So, and I think I had that, that licked already. And so then it was a question of how to back into a recruitment business. And I'd love to talk a little bit about how we, how we did that. But yeah, I, I think the first thing you do is you go, you go get your market position and then you can do anything. I mean, I could sell recruitment services in my market. I could sell consult. I do sell consulting services. I sell M&A services because I have that unrivaled reach relevancy and relationships in my space. I can really sell anything. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. How did you go from, okay, Ben Cross, uh, working for a moving company, but who's created the show, which is the voice of the global relocation industry, then you're starting to be the host of these virtual conferences. How did that lead to starting a recruitment business? Yeah. So there was a step in between, right? Okay. And the step in between was leaving my job and starting a consultancy Okay. and not a consultancy like I'm unemployed and I need a job. And so I call myself a consultant, but really being intentional and saying, okay, if I you know, say I'm making $200,000, you know, in my job, right? I was doing very well for the moving business, right? The removals business, as we say over here in Europe. So, but I'm making like 200 grand in my job. And how do I, how do I double that? Well, if I go out and I get two clients to pay me 10 grand a month, I'm making 240. If I find four, I'm making 480. So I've doubled my income, right? And I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's cool. That's sexy. Let's, let's do that. Right. And then now I'm at four. And I'm like, there's a lot of work. I, I quit my job because I didn't want to have a boss. Now I have four bosses. Right. And there's only one. And, and the product is me. And I'm sold out. I can't. <laughs> there's no more of me. Right. Okay. And I wanted to work less, not more. Like, this is a lot. Like, people get quiet, quit at work, and still close for six months. Right, right. If I, I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I got one. I'm like month to month almost, right? Like, yeah, 100%. So now I have four bosses trying to go to a conference and represent four companies, trying to be at everybody's like company event, trying to host everybody's like little company conference, trying to be the, the face and voice of every, you know, oh my gosh, it's a lot, you know? And so I had to be very like real about like, okay, my time, like where, what, what work do I want to do, right? I'm very much about like per, my purpose and I'm kind, of, I'm kind of selfish in the fact that like I want to do what I want to do. And, and I've always been like that. Uh, but that's <laughs> the definition of freedom. I don't think yeah. that's selfish. That's yeah, like uh, self-actualization. Yeah. Like I want to do what I want to do. And so, and so, I'm, and so what's at the intersection of 
you know, my purpose and what people will pay me for. And that's where I want to live. Right. And so, so anyway, so I got to the point where I was kind of sold out, kind of burnt out, making decent money. I had already brought one person onto my, to my company, our first hire, Jana, who's amazing in Brazil. And I was like, okay, now what? I need to, I need to do something I can scale. So of course I was like, can I get more consultants? I'm like, yeah, but I have this, I have this personal brand and this personal reach relevancy and relationships. Does, is it transferable? Are there other people? If there are other people, they're six figure people that are really expensive. And like, ah, I just didn't feel like that was where I wanted to go with it. And I'm like, what else can I do with all this? And, and that's why I've been, I've been kicking around the idea of, of recruitment for a long time. I was never in the recruitment business, but I would always like refer business to Danny frankly, because I like Danny. I met Danny at, at, a, at a conference and I trusted him. He always did a great job with, with the people I'd send over. He had a great empathy, great heart for people and would try to take care of people. He was super hardworking, um, kind of a behind the scenes kind of guy and kind of a grinder, you know, but he would, he would do such a good job. And, and so I'd, I'd send people over to him all the time. And I was like, Danny, you know, you should, you should go out on your own, man. You should, you know, let's do something together. Of course, I was still working at the time. And so finally now I'm like, okay, what can I do to scale? I was like, let me call Danny again and give him the hard sell. Let me try to recruit the recruiter here, you know? So that was my first, uh, my first placement was a wreck to wreck, uh, you know? And, <laughs> and so, so I recruited him and I was like, let's do this thing. And it took a while and I finally got him uh, across the finish line. And, uh, and that's when we started our recruitment business. And we started that business in September 1st of 2021. Awesome. I love it. Now, as a side note here, if you're a recruitment business owner, you have to be good at recruiting for your, your own firm, not just for your clients. And usually that's persuading someone who is gainfully employed, already you know, has a secure job like, like Danny, uh, who's doing well for himself to come and join essentially a startup or a, a, like a very small boutique yes. and, that's, and, and take that risk. So you have to be get good at persuading people that this is a good thing to do and that even though there's only like going to be three of you at this point uh, to come on this journey with you. So any recruiting business owners listening, remember that your most important client is your own firm. Mm. We Like your job when you start your own recruiting business is no longer just making placements. Your job is actually attracting, recruiting, retaining, and developing fee earners, recruiters, salespeople, that actually is your number one job and not making placements. The team are going to make the placements for you, yeah. but your job is finding, you know, that talent and bringing them to your company. A hundred percent. And it's, and it's super hard and you're right. I mean, who quits their job to go work for a startup, right? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to do, right? And how do you explain that to your family, right? Hey, I'm going to go quit this thing that I've been doing for eight years and do this other thing that doesn't even exist today. Don't worry. It's cool. It'll work out, you know? Um, it's, it's really hard to, it's hard to do that. And, um, but fortunately I had the relationship with him and I think he saw the market position was there and the credibility was there. Um, and, and it, and it worked out, but I think also as a recruitment agency owner, you have to do all those things you just said, recruit, retain, develop, but you also have to create an environment where people can be successful. And one of the things I've heard, and I've not been in this game long enough to really see it too much firsthand or, or unfortunately, you know, work in these situations. But what I hear is there's, there's situations out there that are suboptimal. There's companies out there that don't offer the support. I mean, Danny talks about this first getting into a, to the recruitment. It's like, here's the phone, here's the phone book. I'm gonna sit you in a desk in the middle of a room yep. with people watching, figure it out, let's see what you can do. Yeah, 
That was yeah. exactly my experience joining a that recruiting sucks. agency as that well. That sounds terrible. It was it was pretty shitty, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? And that, that might fly in the 90s or like 10 years ago even. Yeah. But no high potential. I say no. Most high potential people coming yeah. out of college are not going to put up with that. True. There's too it's many a other t- options. Whole out different there. world now. To be fair, I the thing that kept me going was the people that I worked with mm. uh, were awesome. There was just a few like real amazing people that I was lucky enough to be sitting beside, or you know, uh, who were helping me out. So one lady took me under a wing, Deirdre Peden. She was then Shell. She is now. So shout out to Deirdre Shell. So she was experienced and she was billing well. And she kind of showed me the ropes because it was sink or swim. It was like, you know, so had it not been for that, I would have definitely quit. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and at least you had people you could look up to and, and people you respected, it sounded like. And you say, I want to be like them. You know, I think that's important, too, is to have that. What I've, t- but I've, I've talked to some rec to rec recruiters. Right. And um, and they, they say that's that's another thing. You know, you got to have a system and a process, but you also have to have um, somebody who's killing it in the office yes. that the young people could come in and say, Hey, I want to be like, I want to be like Danny. I want to yeah. build half a million or a million dollars. Right. I want to drive the Mercedes. I want to be, you know, you have to show them like kind of proof of that this concept actually works. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, so Danny joined the firm. Tell me about, so let's talk about Glomo now and how you've built that. Because I'll tell you when you approached me, it was, um, I could see a, the crazy trajectory that you were on in such a short time. I think you've been going less than a year. Am I right? Yeah. Or, or coming up for a year? Yeah. yeah. So so now we've we eclipsed a, a year in September. Okay. So uh, so I guess uh, 14 months now, right. I guess. Um, and the first, honestly, the first couple months with Danny, it was a true startup. So while we had revenue and business coming from this other consulting thing, which I was kind of trying to wind down a little bit because it was driving me nuts. I'm also like literally starting from scratch. So I'm like going out, getting the C, you know, with Danny's help, getting the CRM, you know, getting the, the LinkedIn recruiter, right? Like getting all the systems, the processes, getting a, a contract, you know, a, a con, like what, what, con, what are we going to send these customers? Right. Starting to cold call people. So for the first couple of months, it was really like setting up. Um, you know, and I think we were, I think we got kind of our first revenue after two or three months. Um, and, and we were probably in the black, of February, I want to say, you know, on the deal. So what is that? Four months in, we were kind of in the black and, uh, and then that's when things really started to take off. Absolutely. And so what the part of the reason I wanted you on the show, apart from the fact that you've got an awesome voice and you've got a great personality for podcasting and your story is fun. Um, what you got achieved in the first year is yeah. phenomenal. Could you talk a little bit about what you've accomplished and how you, how you pulled that off? Yeah. So we're coming on the end of calendar year, 2022. And I, I don't think we're going to do a million this year. I think we're going to probably be in the 950 range. Close but enough, I'm man. really, I'm proud of that. You know, um, I mean, it's been probably, it's probably been the best year to be a recruiter ever. True. And it was my first year. True. So that, that, that scares me a little bit. Um, and I also chalk some of that up to market conditions. Right. But I also think that I think a lot of our f- foundations are, are really strong and I'm just, and we're learning, right. And we're getting better every day. And that's one of the things that we say in our company is, you know, whenever we fail, we say we just we just got better. And it hurts to say it because it means that we just jack something up. But we learned a life lesson in doing so. And we had a little micro trauma over it. We'll never forget it. And we'll figure it out. We'll be better. Right. And so I think we had a lot of those situations. But we find ourselves in a fortuitous position of being able to choose which clients we work with. 
of being um, charging more than anyone else in our industry, and we're proud of that. Uh, our fee position, we, we've, we've literally raised the, the fees for everyone in our industry. Because when we came out, we came out really loud and proud about working at like 25%. Love it. And everybody else in the industry was at 15 to 18. And now they're up to 20 to plus because of us. And we literally have other recruiters that come to us and they, they, every one of our competitors comes up to us and shows us so much love at conferences. They love what we're doing. They love, they love the love. They love the content. They love the fact that recruitment has gone from the shadows of the industry um, and slinking about in the corners and having these clandestine conversations to being front and center on the stage and being the, you know, the cool kids and being the respected, you know, um, integral pillars of our industry instead of being these, you know, considered these leeches or whatever, you know, I don't even know what bad, bad stigma was attached because I wasn't a part of it. But apparently like folks felt like there was a stigma around. Being yeah, a it's like I didn't even know there's that was a stereotype a kind of used car salesman type. Yeah. Uh, vibe but um i didn't know that was a thing when i got in and okay. that was also a blessing right yeah. so I, I didn't have that in the back of my mind you know maybe i wouldn't have been so quick to jump into it <laughs> if i thought there was such a stigma around it but but i feel like i'm also feel like listen you don't have to be a victim of these things you you're an active participant in it so how do you act and how do you move yeah do you move with integrity do you do you have ethical business practices are you up front are you a thought leader are you are you are you giving more than you take yeah right I mean, let's be honest we take a lot you know, so do are we so so the onus on, on us is to give more and then over delivering is a real key kind of tenant for our, our organizations. We always want to over deliver for our clients. We always want to give more than we take. And so um, I, I've been it, it's just been really it's been a fun ride. So listen, in the market definitely helped everybody. Right. A rising tide lifts all boats. Um, but still to get close to a million dollars in your first like 12 months uh, is rare. And so if we put together like the critical success factors here, of course, the brand that you'd built with that reach relevancy and relationship, I'm sure is a huge part because it's almost like you weren't starting from scratch. You were just bringing momentum with you into the search business Um so you almost had a, a running start. Yeah. Uh, no doubt that helped. Then second, you had a really solid, you know, first hire. I know you had a team member already, but your first right. uh, fee earner in, in Danny, uh, someone who was super reliable. You knew he could do deals. And um, so that was a success factor. What what are some of the other things yeah. that you think enabled that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think when, when you look at like these success factors, it's a series of tweaks that all multiply together to yes. create a major success, right. you know, incremental success, right? And so like with, with Danny, I mean, Danny was was billing, you know, his best year, I think was 220 to 250 at his previous firm. You know, this year, Danny is going to do, Danny, how much are you going to do this year? 550 he's going to do, he thinks. I think he's going to do more. Anyway, he's going to do 550 his first year at Global, right? So Incredible. he's going to do more than double his best year ever doing it for almost 10 years, right? So so it, I knew he had a lot of bandwidth, and I knew I had a, a lot of stuff to cram into that bandwidth, you know? Um, and then we also were able to bring on two trainees as well. Mm -hmm. um, they've been with us once three months and one's, um, gosh, six months. Um, one of those, uh, you know, is going to probably do 200. You know, another one's going to do, you know, another probably 150 maybe. 
Um, Which is good for uh, yeah. trainees from a, yeah. you know, you just, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a 180, it's a 180 model. Yeah. Right. So, so we, we bring in the roles. I bring in the roles. Danny has some, some contacts as well. You know, we bring in the roles, you know, I think we're actively working on anywhere from 22 to 30, you know, roles at any given time. Yeah. Um, there's still a ton of stuff that, that we don't get to that falls off the table, which drives me absolutely nuts, which to your point goes back to my number one job as a, as an agency owner, which yeah. is recruitment, you know, of, of recruiters. Uh, and that's what I want to focus on for next year. And I think a major opportunity is, and I think, I think next year, our goal is to double our goal is to do, to do 2 million next year. Amazing. You know? And so if I, if I can double and, and, and I, I look to you honestly for, for help and guidance on this, but I mean, my thought is if I can double every year for four years, um, and then double every two years for a couple of years, uh, you know, after that, for a couple of cycles for like four more years after that, I think we'll be in 10 years, we'll be where, and you know, and my BHAG, right. My big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. And, but I mean, a lot of things are going to have to change, you know, from, you know, our market's going to have to expand a lot of things, but going back to the critical, critical success factors, right. I think it's doubling what people expect of themselves. Right. So if Danny's expecting to do two fifty, now, now it's five. Um, if a, if a trainee, you know, if we think a trainee can do a hundred, 150, okay, now that's, that's three, two to three. Right. Uh, so that, so double, double what we think is possible. Um, increase the fee from 15 to 18% to 22 to 25%. Yeah. Um, frankly, we, we don't work on the big roles all the time. We'll take a, we'll take roles that are, I mean, gosh, we play some $45,000 people, but 45,000 at 25%. It's something to sneeze at. It adds up. Absolutely. You know, and then I think on top of those, those are, those are your little rocks. And then you throw in some big rocks, like some executives in there. We just had a placement for a salary, which in our industry is extremely high, 275, you know, uh, and I think we did that one at a 22 and a half percent, you know, and that half was hard fought by the way, <laughs> you know, so we, we, we go for every, you know, we go for every half, every point and every half point we can get. Um, and I think we, and I, but here's the thing. I'm proud of that because I know that the candidates we deliver kick ass, man. Yes. Like that candidate right there will transform that business for a decade. I literally took the very best business development person at the biggest firm in the space. I took that person and put them at a, a very strong found, you know, fundamentals organization with high integrity that was globally that had global offices and was poised for growth and wanted the growth and would support the growth and taking that, that rainmaker and putting them in that organization. I mean, I'd be shocked if they weren't twice the size in five years. Right. So I'm proud of that. Absolutely. It's so cool that you said that because, well, first of all, one of the very first exercises we do, like in the first 30 days, when someone joins our coaching program, not, so you're in apex, which is for our uh, companies that are scaling. We have another program called elevate for the solo producers and the, and the small boutiques. And um, the first thing, not the first thing, in the first 30 days, one of the first things we get people to do is raise their rates. Mm -hmm. Because to especially, I think it's imposter syndrome or something, but when people start their own business, they feel like, well, we're, we're not a big company, so we ought to compete on price. No, mm -hmm. that's sending the wrong message to your market. It's actually undermining the perceived value of what you offer, and it depositions you and just because you have lower overheads or you're a startup or whatever, are, is your service worse than your competitors? Are you providing less value to your competitors? Right. Uh, probably you're, you're, you're providing at least as good a service, if not better. Yes. You know, because that's one of the reasons people start their own businesses because right. they're like, I think I could do this better. I think I could, you know, uh, 
you know, raise the bar here. I think I could improve the reputation of recruiting in, in this industry or whatever. And then they start by going in with low pricing, which is the opposite of what they should be doing. So if your service is good, if not better to your competitors, why would you charge less? Right. Because you're signaling to them that it's worse, to your point, when it's actually better. So signal yeah, that it's better. Exactly. And so that we get people to go back to existing clients when they have the next role comes in and have that conversation. But especially with new clients that come in, like straight away, they're starting at a much higher like uh, you know fee structure, and people are amazed at people are super scared to do it because they're like, oh, I don't want to lose business. They're scared of you know this this idea of losing business, and um, but we like we kind of force people to do that, and yeah. they're always pleasantly surprised. We have so many examples of people who've gone from like. 15% to 20%, 20 to 22.5%, 18% to 25%. One lady was already at 25%. She went to 35%. Wow. And, um, the, but to your point about the recent placement you made, the fee that you charge is in proportion to the value of the individual that you're placing in that company and the impact that they're going to have on that business. Yeah. So it's not based on how many hours you spent finding candidates or, you know, even I, sure you can build a value proposition where you talk about your screening process and all the tools that you use and how rigorous it is and your network and how you can access the best people and all that. That's all great. And, you know, maybe it's taking you, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years to build your network and your reputation. And that is what the client's paying for. But in reality, they're paying for that, the impact the individual is going to have. Yeah. And, you know, based on what you described that scenario, they're getting an easy 10 or 20 times return. Oh, yeah. On it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible. And I love what you're saying there. And I think, I think that you're right. That's how we have to look at it. And I think that sometimes we're so myopic and in the weeds that we only look at the money that we're taking and we feel, feel guilty about it. Yeah. And we don't look at the value that we're imparting. And I think that I, I was fortunate by working in the relocation global mobility arena because a relocation package could cost 10,000, it could cost 150,000, it can cost a quarter of a million dollars to move an executive to, you know, Tokyo or something, right? Because um, you're literally assisting in buying that home, you know, home, you're assisting in moving all their household goods, you're assisting in offsetting the cost of a real estate transaction. I mean, a lot of stuff goes into it. And, but yeah, companies do it all the time. Because that senior executive, to your point, 10, 20x the the return on that on that investment. And so I think that also that knowledge of, of ROI and looking yes. at ROI from a big picture standpoint, I think it really gave me a lot of confidence in our pricing. And the other thing is too, if you have so more business than you can do, like you kind of need to raise your prices because otherwise you're just gonna give crappy service to people because you can't afford to like you can't support it all. Yes. So it's also a way of weeding out bad customers. Yes. Right? And people who don't value you. Because the same people that won't pay your fee are also probably the ones that are going to treat you like crap. It's, you're getting a preview. Like if someone really tries to hammer you in the negotiation yes. and they're really like playing hardball and they, you know, are... You're getting a preview of what they're going to be like to deal with, yes. right? And, you know, are they also going to lowball, make lowball offers to candidates? Are they going to, like, 
have a crappy, you know, candidate experience and process? Are they going to like make the interview? You know, don't get me wrong. You can challenge people during an interview, but, you know, are they going to be an asshole during the interview? Like, so you're, you know, it does factor in for sure. Oh, 100%. And then going back to like, as an agency owner, what my responsibility is, yes, it's about recruiting, retaining, and developing. It's also about creating a culture of success. Um, and in order to create that culture of success, like I have to have the money to invest in my people and technology and processes, right? So my people have all the best tools, you know, and we're continuing to work on our tech stack. And that's one thing I look to you always for thought leadership on is the best tech stack in the business. I want to create that, right? Um, I think we're getting there. Um, it's not for lack of investment. I send them to all the conferences. It's so funny. My client companies who are the core companies in the industry, right? The traditional players, I'm sending more people there than they are to the conference. <laughs> I sent five people. That's I awesome. sent my entire freaking company yeah. to a conference in Las Vegas in October. Like even the juniors, even the 23 year old kids who've been in this industry for three, three months. One of her, one of my trainees, who's now a junior recruiter for us, she's been with us three months. Her mom's been in the business 10, 20 years. I don't even, many, many years and has never gone to this conference. And and I sent her and her daughter went, right? Because I'm all about professional development. I'm all about, and, and yeah, it cost me $30,000. But we did it. Because I know that I'm going to get a 10X on that. You know? Awesome. And so I, I just, I think I think we have a responsibility as agency owners to provide great tools and great, great experiences for our people. And there's no way we can do that without the revenue to support it. Otherwise, we're going to be short-arming everything and, and, you know, the whole value chain. It's It's... That is a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's cool. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugey to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. To your point about conferences and... um this is a, a tip for our listeners who maybe recruit nationally or internationally. I'm a, a believer in the old-fashioned idea that you need to meet people in person like we're doing today. Yeah. And uh, so I worked a local desk. So I was able, I, I never started working a job without going and meeting the client. Wow. Ideally seeing their office, like yeah. shaking their hand. Yes. Um, you just get so much more, you know, first of all, you build a better relationship. Uh, but secondly, it's so much easier to sell the opportunity to candidates when you really know that company uh, in that in that depth. Yes. Right? But if you recruit nationally, that's difficult. Mm. But the so the 
the the hack, the workaround for that is see people at conferences, yes. build that personal relationship in person. Okay, it's not you're not seeing their office, but since people are a lot of people are working remotely anyway, that doesn't matter as much. You're meeting people in person. Yeah, you're still seeing their culture and how yeah, they show up. That's true. And you're seeing how they go to market, right? What does yeah. their trade show booth look like? What right. are their value props? Yeah. Where does their market position? Are they a a, a a leader in the industry? Are they are they a pricing leader? Are they a low cost shop? Or are they a premium shop? You know, so you're seeing all that still. Yeah, fantastic. So Ben, um, like what's been the most challenging aspect of launching your own recruiting business? Because <laughs> it almost sounds like things were just came easy and you're like, bing, bang, boom. No. Look, we're, you know, look at what no, we're doing. No, dude, dude, we fail daily, man. Like every day, all day. Like coming to here was a failure. Like an abject failure in traffic, you know? Like I, like, cause if you're not trying stuff, if you're not failing, you're not trying, right? And And I think that as business owners, or gosh, everybody, as professionals, we think that success is avoiding failures. It's not. It's about embracing them and learning from them and even memorializing them in our in our mind palace and saying, you know, I'm going to pay homage to this ridiculous epic failure that I had. Right. I'm always going to talk and I'm going to tell jokes and we're going to learn from this and we're not going to put it away in a closet. We're going to put it right in the foyer. You know what I mean? And and so so we're really big on, on celebrating failures. So when you ask me you know, about failures and challenges, like it's my favorite topic. You know, I literally, people say, you know, if you wrote a book, what would it be? I was like, pretty much about all the ways I've effed up in my life and, and they're funny and they're, and they're insightful. So, I mean, how much, I mean, how much time do we have? I mean, what, what day? I mean, like, I, I, it's hard to even like know where to begin. Um, so let me, um, please <laughs> give you some suggestions. And by the way, I, as an observation, I think because I've lived in, I'm Canadian, as you know, so yes. lived in North America um, and also lived the last 25 years in the UK. I think failure is regarded differently, especially in America, than it is in Britain. Mm. And here it's like not somebody, it's something you like absolutely will do, go to, you know, uh, avoid at all costs, right? right. It's, an, it's a humiliation, embarrassment. Mm. It's... Um, it's like not definitely not mm. celebrated or even yeah. well, y'all have long memories. We, we're, <laughs> we have short memories over in the, in the U S right. We have, we have, we have a short history too, you know, and we're young, scrappy and hungry like Hamilton. Right. Like, so we're, you know, we, we would be nothing without our scars, you know? And I mean, that's, that's what the stars and stripes are all about, you know? So I think, I think when we talk about, when we talk about challenges, I mean, gosh, customer, customer screw ups. I mean, you know, where we've, we've gone to candidates and gone to the marketplace in the wrong way. Right. Or maybe too aggressively because we have so much jobs we're working on. So we're going hot and heavy and we're, we're sharing too much. You're divulging too much information, right. To the point where one of our clients feels like we've kind of betrayed their trust. Right. Or maybe talked about the position and, you know, kind of put too much information out there in the market. Right. And I've got to call and do a mea culpa with the president of the company and say, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. We screwed up. I can totally understand where you're coming from. We shouldn't have done it that way. We're going to take that back. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get better and it won't happen again. You know, and, and, and they, and they've respected it. And those relationships are now stronger. That's some of our strongest. That's one of my strongest relationships now is with that, with that president. he called me a few weeks ago and said, I want to talk about a very strategic role. Nobody knows about this yet. It's the top two people in the company and me on the phone talking about a very strategic C-suite hire. 
And they trusted me with that information before they even entrusted their team with it. So we turn that around. And I think it's the way that you show up and the way that you own things. And that's where you show your character, you know, and, and what you are. I'm not going to say I'm never going to make a mistake, but I'm going to own it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be accountable for it. I'm looking in the eye and we're going to shake hands and we're going to get over it together. And now we're going to go through that micro trauma and we're going to have trust, you right, know, because right. you know how I'm going to act when stuff's hitting the fan, you know? And so I think that's, I think that's key. Um, you know, I think I think right now we're going through a challenge. We're going through a challenge of where we come. We came out of a, a, an enormous uh, Q2, Q3, just gangbusters, right? Um, and Q4's been slow. You know, I mean, there's the looming recession. It's also a kind of a a, a trough um, in our in our year. You know, with our business, the, the fourth quarter is kind of slow, and uh, typically anyway. And I've been spending money. And reinvesting in our business and going to conferences and and paying biggest commission checks I've ever cut and they've ever received and all these things. And now the money in the bank is is half of what it was two months ago. Right. And that that freaks me out as a business owner. Now it's still three times more than it was a year ago, but it's you know what I'm saying? But relatively it's like, oh crap, our, our burn rate is out is out of control right now. Right. You know, and so I'm like, okay, what do I gotta do? I gotta roll up the sleeves. And we gotta start. We gotta start making some placements, you know. And and I gotta get involved, right? And I gotta start leveraging myself more and try try harder and stretch myself in ways that I haven't stretched myself in. So, you know, every day is a new challenge. And it's like, don't get into agency ownership if you're not down for for that kind of stuff. But I think, but it's also a puzzle, and it's a lot of fun to put together, you know. And I think, at the end of the day, if if you believe in yourself and you think that you have the tools, you know, inherent, then um. Then you'll, you'll, you know, we'll figure it out. So looking back then, uh, is there anything you would do differently to have had a more buoyant Q4? Yeah, I think I would have been, um, I think I would have been more aggressive about hiring and, and will, and will continue to be, um, you know, you had a really cool interview with Mark Phillips and he talked about hiring in threes. Yes. You know, so I was hiring once a quarter and now I think hiring in threes is good because now you have that competitiveness between the three. You can now judge the candidates next to one another, very similar to when we submit three to five candidates for each search, right? You know, it's good to have them next to, you know, a beauty contest doesn't work unless they're standing on stage next to one another, right? And so it's like, so now I think I think having having folks start at the same time um, will give us a critical mass of, you know, for training purposes and everything. So I think that's that's one of the things that, that I'm going to start doing as well. Again, stuff I've gleaned from the Resilient Recruiter podcast, like literally like your podcast is my playbook, you know, and then the stuff you don't say on air, I get through the training. Right. And so, um, so, I mean, every, I, I get, nugget, I honestly, I have to stop listening to your show because I have too many ideas, <laughs> right? There's no shortage awesome. of ideas. There's a shortage of execution. Right. And so I was like, guys, I don't, and that's the other thing as an entrepreneur, like people try to come into your life and like your dad will like give you some advice. Like, well, you know, I wouldn't spend all that money. Like, sorry, sorry, dad. Just, just go over there. Okay. But let's, let's, let's talk about the game or something else. Cause you know, at this point, like I'm good on ideas. Yeah. I need execution. So don't bring me an idea unless you're also willing. If I say, yeah, that's a great idea. Now, now go do it. Don't, you know, don't bring me ideas. Cause I got to Mark, Mark's already giving me all the ideas, guys. I just need, I need some, some alone time right now <laughs> to figure this stuff out. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Listen, so hiring in threes, um, the hardest part about recruiting people in your business is then you have to invest time, effort, energy into 
onboarding yes. and training them, even if they're experienced, regardless, rookie experience, doesn't matter. They need your time, attention, focus. Yeah. And if you, if you invest all that into one person and then for whatever reason, they don't work out, mm-hmm. all that time that you've put right. into them, you can never get that back. Yeah. And probably you, you know, let other things slide to put that investment in. So now you're twice as far behind because that time that you put into in that, you know, training yep. is gone and, you know, other things, hopefully not, but but possibly your own clients, your own billing, your own, you know, business development or whatever right. has taken a back seat. So if you hire three, yeah. at least one of them, I mean, and, and you might have chosen really great people and all three of them work out, which is a bonus, but at least one of them is going to stick. Yeah. And then, you know, that investment you've made in that person uh, is is worthwhile. But as you say, also, then they benchmark against each other. There's a bit of friendly competition. There's a bit of camaraderie. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, you know, it's a great point. I think the other thing too, now that I'm thinking about it more, is I would also have documented our training process and what our standard process procedure is right. from, you know, Qual, you know, searching and researching candidates to to qualifying them. We did we did some of that. We did we did some of that on the uh, the qualification. We documented. Uh, we put it in our CRM, uh, our submittal email. We've we've also you know put a form letter in there as well that we send kind of. Um, so I think we've done a decent job on that. Um, Danny's starting to work on some of the, the, the qualification questions. He was joking around. He was teaching his seven-year-old daughter how to do the qualification. I was like, you need to film that, her doing it so that we can use that in training. Like, okay, do it like Lily does it. If a seven-year-old can do this, you can do it too. Um, but, but documenting what goes into that process, I think from a training standpoint, because we're so busy just doing, doing, doing that, like writing it down and codifying it is not a step that we've prioritized. Right. That's something that big corporations do, you know, when they, they got all this free time and, you know, resources, but it's really something we need to do to have good fundamentals. I think um, there's a shortcut yeah. there, by the way. What's that? Which is um, rather than like sit down in a room for, you know, three weeks and write the manual, which you, nobody has time to do um, unless you're a really big company and you can put people on that. Instead, number one, you're recording everything you do so you're either it's video like for example uh internal meetings or client meetings or candidate uh qualification calls you're recording those okay and then from there you've got a you have a potentially a training uh that someone can watch they can watch back like one of danny's best you know client meetings or one of danny's best uh candidate interviews and they can watch that as part of their onboarding. But secondly, then somebody, not you, but somebody else can take that and turn it into a written document. Yeah. They can transcribe it. They can turn it into like the manual. Yeah. And then secondly is if you do weekly workshops with your team, like weekly kind of lunch and learns or training, like you might say, okay, today, guys, we're going to break down what is our recruiting process? What are all the steps? Let's figure it out together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you're document that in small chunks as you go along at the end of a year you've got 52 of those yeah. pieces written you've, there's your manual right and and then that's where you get those the VAs or somebody to come in probably and actually like put it into a document as well right. and like anthologize it you know that's that's phenomenal Danny take a note on that because <laughs> that's another one of those Mark Whitby things that we got to go do you know um, the other thing I would say too is I would hire local 
you know, so so Danny's in New Jersey, Jana's in Brazil, um, Rihanna's in DC, Jill's in Connecticut, I'm in Dallas, like super cool, right? But at the same time, like super hard, right? And these young people who are 23, I'm seeing that it's one thing to work from home if you've been in an office. Yes. You take the office standard and you just bring it home and try to hold yourself accountable and be disciplined. If you've never been in an office and you don't know how to like show up, you know, you don't know how to like take a shower, comb your hair, put a shirt on that's pressed and like get out the door, you know, and then and then have that 30 minute commute, you know, or an hour and a half in Danny's case of going to Midtown Manhattan, you know, before you get in the first meeting of the day. It's hard. Like that jump starts your day for productivity. And I'm finding that working from home is not good for these young people. They need to have the social, the camaraderie, the collaboration, the water cooler talks, the hey, you know, you don't, you know, you know, something's something's wrong today. What's go, what's going on? Is everything okay? Like, let's just take five. Let's go to lunch. You know, what's going on? You know, or I overheard that call. Sounded like that got kind of out, you know, out of control. <laughs> you know, let's how do we how do we get that back in, you know, on on task and on 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 point there. So I think I think those kinds of conversations, that organic kind of collaboration, is really missing. And um, and to your point, when you started in this business, you were sitting next to Deidre, and you liked and respected her, and she took you under her wing. Well, you know, how do you like? replicate sitting next to somebody like Deidre in a virtual setting. I mean, we try, we do huddles every morning. We have a, a virtual office we log into, you know, using wonder, but it's not the same. A hundred percent. You know, this is going to be super controversial, by the way, because you have like the work from home brigade who think yeah, that cool. everything should be remote. And yeah. like, if you suggest that I, I don't know if you saw Malcolm so, Gladwell Malcolm, yeah, yeah, yeah. got crucified. Oh, oh. So Malcolm Gladwell and um, the guy from the CEO podcast, whose name escapes me right now. Yeah. You know who I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm kicking myself. Do you know the guy's name, Danny? James? Was this the guy that interviewed Malcolm Gladwell? Yeah, yeah. I forget his name too, but He's I got like the biggest face. business podcast in the world. It's um, incredible. And I'm just drawing a blank. Anyway, he interviewed Malcolm Gladwell and they said, you know, for young people, I don't think working from home is good. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good. You know, he listed and they like that caused a huge shit storm. Well, and he said, and he said, is this who you want to be in your sweatpants, in your pajamas, working from home, never leaving your desk, never meeting other people? Yada, yada. Is this your best self? Is this who we as humans want to be evolving into? Right. And people crucified him for that and because people want to be at home because it's easy. Cause now they got a COVID puppy or they want to take care of their kids or what. And yeah, like the, 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 an hour and a half commute that Danny did every morning and every evening to Manhattan, you know, that's three hours a day times five days a week is 15 hours a week times four weeks or four weeks in a month is yeah. 60 hours in a month times 50 weeks. Let's say he did it 3000 hours per year. Yeah. He's in a train going into Manhattan. Well, that's a month, an actual month per year Yeah, that he was on a train. So that's the other extreme, right? And yeah, does our family need that time? And, you know, I know you're a family man. I'm a family man. You know, yeah. could, could our kids have that time with us? And is that great? Yeah, there's a balance. Totally. You know, an hour and a half yeah, yeah. Of, per each way is absurd, but never getting out of your house, putting pants on and, <laughs> and, and combing your hair before a meeting. I mean, that's, that's, that's not going to fly either. So we have to find some middle ground here. And, and maybe it's three days a week, or maybe it's having an office and having the opportunity to come together like this. Yeah. But but we can't also succumb to our lowest selves, which is I'm not getting out. I'm not, you know, 
I'm not going to put pants on today. A hundred percent. So I think if people are experienced like Danny, he can work remote. You see each other, yes. like maybe he comes to Dallas. Oh, this guy's a know, beast. Once in a while. He's up at four or five in the morning, yeah. you know, qual- you know, sending out candidate qualification forms and submittals. Awesome. You know, so, he's got it. Exactly. But he knows he knows what he's doing now. Yeah. But for, for trainees, I just don't see how they can get that on-ramp yeah. into our business completely remotely. Yeah. All my hires now, I think going forward, I'm really going to strive to have them local to me in Dallas, which is also going to be hard because Danny's up in, he's our subject matter expert. He's in New Jersey. You know, our, our operations, you know, director, you know, you know, manager leader is she's in Brazil. Right. And so, so now it's going to be me in office. These people God help these young young people. (laughs) Right. So I don't know how that's going to work out. You know, they might all quit. Right, we well, might hire three, and they might all quit. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll By see. the way, just uh, when you said that, like, put pants on before you go out. I smile because here in the UK, when people say pants, they mean their underwear. Oh, and so whereas in, uh, in <laughs> that's North a new America, low. That's a new low. <laughs> so, <laughs> you put underwear on when uh, that's something I learned quickly. Like, oh, you know, if you say so to you somebody off a trousers trousers, yeah, oh, that's yeah. a terrible. So word. if you say someone to, like, "Hey, I really like your pants," they're gonna look at you funny. Uh, and especially Trousers. if, so the other thing is, uh, suspenders or braces, you got it right. Yeah, suspenders or braces. Cause suspenders here are garter belts. Oh, right. Oh, so that's different. if you say pants and suspenders, like you're really oh. in a whole different conversation. Wow. If you say like trousers and braces, right? Well, you know, we might have to add that to the employee manual. Pants with suspenders must be worn <laughs> on Wednesdays, just just for the UK office. <laughs> awesome. So, listen, what's next for Glomo? Uh, you know, in between now and world domination. Uh, no, I mean, you know, we're just trying to we're just mm-hmm. trying to add add a lot of value to our clients and uh, expand. We're actually going to London to the uh, biennial. IBA, International Bar Association Immigration Conference, because we're looking to expand more into the immigration vertical of global mobility. And so I think it's just to kind of go from strength to strength and kind of build on our market and kind of nibble at our market and kind of find how, how big it can be and then achieve, you know, that that 40 to 50 percent share that you can really feasibly get to without compromising your ethics. And then it's to kind of like say, how do we kind of glom on other kind of more similar verticals? You know, so so next year is going to be about getting into the business immigration space. Um you know, probably hiring a half dozen other other recruiters. We actually just brought on a video production manager full time oh, awesome. as well because we believe in content so so strongly as as you do. And so now we have a full time um, video guy. That's and amazing. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's expensive, but he's really good. And so we're going to start making more video content, more audio content. We're on our second podcast now. So we have the Get Talent podcast as well, which can be found on, on Apple Podcasts, where we talk more to the kind of recruitment managers and talent acquisition folks that we deal with. And I'll probably start a third podcast. I'll probably start one that talks more about entrepreneurship and leadership, because that's really where my passion is. And uh, that'll be more kind of a localized in-person deal that we're doing in our office. So we're we're signing a lease on an office now in Dallas, um, which the primary purpose of that office is going to be to create a studio in it where we can actually host kind of live podcasts as well as our virtual stuff and then secondarily be kind of a place to work and collaborate so so an office probably six new recruiters and probably a new vertical next year amazing i love it listen ben this has been fantastic really really enjoyed it thanks for having me this has been a blast mark it's really been a blessing thank you thank you and uh enjoy the rest of your visit to the uk hope you have an awesome conference and uh speak to you soon can't wait all right take care take care
thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.